Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss new ideas that can shape a sustainable food system from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert Agraf, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major podcast platforms. Before we get started, we'd like to say a quick thank you to the FFA founding partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the FFA strategic partners, Cargill, The Nature Conservancy, Rabobank, Thought for Food, and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome back to Food Systems. Today, we're talking to Emeritus Professor and Research Director of the RISE Foundation, Alan Buckwell. He is one of the longest serving academics thinking and writing and interacting with uh, the Europe's agricultural policies and the issue of sustainability. He was also on the FFA 2021 panel on whether or not the CAP will deliver for society. Alan Buckwell, thank you very much for joining Food Systems today. Thank you, it's nice to be with you. Uh, Let's get it straight into it. During the FFA 21 CAP panel, you mentioned that the CAP is stuck in what you described as an outmoded two-pillar model, which went against the expectation that in the 1990s that the CAP would move over time fully into a more pillar two system. Why didn't it move as was expected? Well, for, for several reasons. First, that there wasn't an agreement that it should, that, that uh the, the the core point is that that pillar one, which which contained and remains uh, containing most of the support of the cap, the financial support, uh, was there as compensation for reducing support prices in the old cap system. And the argument was that I and many others made uh, uh, is that it's great to compensate farmers when you make a big change in policy. It's only reasonable you should do so. But it it should be a transitory thing. It would last maybe even a decade or two. But in uh, but they should know clearly it's going to transition and, and those payments will eventually phase out. That was never agreed and said. That's the first reason. And then there's no doubt that that once the payments got running, and they didn't, they got running in the mid nineties, and then they were consolidated and extended to to embrace all the uh, support schemes were boiled together into the single farm payment in two thousand and four by the uh, second Fischler reform. Uh, um, but again, it wasn't agreed that they would be simply trans- transitory. And by that time, the whole story was complicated by the Eastern European members. Uh, and once they'd got the money, which they saw as not as compensation, but as income supports, because uh, they were poorer than the guys in the West, uh, uh, then we've muddled seriously the purpose of the payments and we remain in that muddled, inconclusive uh, state. So so that's why the, the switch didn't take place. Also, Pillar 1 is fully EU funded and farmers are rather keen on that, and their farm ministers are. Uh, and also, pillar two is harder work. You've got to come out with some, you've got to deliver something for the money, not just get it because you're a farmer. And so all of that transpires to to to, to make the ministers reluctant to, to follow that logic of transitory payments uh, to help adjustment. In the next reform, the CAP will not be only a policy instrument that affects land managers and, and still has the first and second pillar, but it is also meant to be the financial bridge, essentially, between uh, the farm to fork strategy, the Green Deal and farmers around Europe. Do you think the CAP, as it stands, will deliver not just on its own goals, but on the goals of the other two policies as well? 
Well, it should do, and it's intended to. That's clearly what uh, what, what the Commission would like to happen. Uh, it's just unfortunate that the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork and the various other strategies that are now emerging, forestry is coming up now, uh, um, these were the uh, the brainchilds, brainchildren of the current commission, and they weren't in evidence in the previous commission uh, in which the current reform proposals emerged, from which uh, that the, the, uh, Commissioner Hogan put on the table. And in a sense, he was locked in the old logic of just uh, modifying and trying to improve the delivery uh, of the of the previous cap that, that the previous two or three commissioners uh, had pushed. So, I mean, that's the difficulty. Uh, um, and, and so that the, the, the architects of the Green Deal, uh, I mean, this was a big political statement. We've got to change a range of European policies to deliver for climate and the environment. And, we, and we, we, this was a political decision. We want to elevate those issues to high in the agenda, if not to the top of the agenda. Uh, only problem was that, that the cap reform legislative proposals were already out there, had, had been crawled over for a couple of years by, by the time the Green Deal uh, was being discussed. And, 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 we've, and we're still suffering from that, in a sense, difficult timing, to put it mildly. Uh, and and so yes, they, they they could if there was will there to do it, uh, they, they, they of course the cap could be retuned in the, uh, to, to embrace the the goals of the Green Deal. But what we're observing out there is that that will just doesn't seem to be there, not amongst farm ministers. This brings us on to an interesting point because we've seen in I believe it was last week Greta Thunberg with the youth climate campaigners made a very strong statement saying, essentially, we've met with uh, Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans, and we believe the whole CAP should just be scrapped. Uh, a number of the green organizations have been calling for the same. Apart from sort of the bureaucratic practicalities of such a thing, do you believe that the current proposal as it stands should be scrapped? <laughs> the trouble is that you you threw away the biggest obstacle, the, the, the political practicalities. Logically, yes. That, that logically that, that that's the the reform there were some important uh, 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 ideas in the hogan now uh, um, um, the, the new commissioner's proposals uh, he, he's taken them up there are some good ideas in there but they don't they simply don't match to the ambition uh, and the seriousness with which climate and biodiversity emergencies as they've now I mean, that's the terminology we use. And I think Greta Thunberg is absolutely entitled to say, if you call something an emergency, uh, uh, why aren't you taking emergency action? And emergency action, it, it, I don't think it is too far-fetched to, for people to say that might mean scrapping your your outdated ideas for cap reform. The, the practical problem, it, it kills it, though, because it's taken us four years to get to where we are. Uh, uh, and the, 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 this is the difficulty: is that the, the the decision process on agriculture has now ground itself into this habit of taking multiple years, uh, uh, arguing over over what to the rest of the world seems like pretty small issues about what's a farmer. Uh, um, uh, the, 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 so so the practical things kill it, um, but logically it, it it's it's simply not. It doesn't reflect the ambitions of of, uh, of the commission. But then it's not completely clear that that the ambitions of the commission are wholeheartedly and enthusiastically supported at the high political level across the member states. I mean, at, at, at government level, at heads of government level, uh, uh, that nobody said, no, this is balmy or wrong. 
because uh, nobody dares say anything green is balmy or wrong. Uh, but their actions certainly betray that they don't really believe deep down that, that this should be a top priority for European policies. Uh, and the policy that's spending a third of the budget and, uh, and has been there longest and unreformed longest uh, is the one that ought to change. But it ain't going to happen. And one of the things that you've, you've mentioned this on, on the panel is to say, well, these are the serious structural issues. And if we want to be serious about them, we need to already look at the 2027 reform. Now, there have been different reports and of different credibility, but that there are now real serious issues with the climate, I think nobody will deny. But there are soil issues there will be. That was something that few people will deny, water issues. How many of these reform cycles can we say, well, we'll do it in the next one until the real structural problems underlying European agriculture overwhelm the system as it exists? Well, lots would say if we're serious that um, grappling climate change within the decades of the 20s, 30s and 40s uh, is utterly essential beyond which we run into catastrophic climate change uh, uh, and therefore it's too late. If you believe that, then to, to you know, the actions to, to deliver the required changes should be in place now, uh, no good waiting till 2027. So 27 would then be seen as the absolute last possible date. But, you know, you have to be a super optimist to think that that that, uh, that this debate is going to change very much even in the next five or six years. But one, let me say one other thing, that the difficulty in all this, it's a credibility issue. Farmers are aware that climate change can harm their own practical and business interests. They can, it can make it seriously more difficult for them to run their farms. Uh, that, that, that plant disease is coming in, uh, the sheer aridity of southern Europe uh, the, 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 and the, the erratic nature of, of, of the weather and so on, uh, um, you know, can seriously impede their, their ability to run farming businesses uh, in, in coming decades. And you would think that, you know, in the erosion of, 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 of soil fertility, the, the degradation of soil fertility, you would think they have, would have the clearest, strongest interest in ensuring that, that there are sufficient measures in place to deal with that. And the trouble is you don't seriously believe that at the political level in farming circles, that they see that's the problem. They don't. The, the problem they see, and I can sort of understand this, is that it's jolly difficult to make a viable economic living doing farming in current conditions. And most of the solutions that people talk about uh, are threatened to make that more difficult. Uh, taking away what farmers see as, as essential parts of their toolkit, like fertilizers and crop protection and animal health products, uh, um, in the face of more uh, predictions of more disease, uh, um, the complications of squaring those sets of messages, if you don't move, you'll find that, that, that some of you aren't going to be able to farm in, in the coming decades versus uh, uh, changing is going to, you're going to have to learn to farm in quite different ways uh, is, is, is so apparently difficult that, that they just can't grasp it. And therefore, we haven't elevated these issues to the priority that, that, in my view, they should be. Well, one of the changes that certainly is coming 
if even if just in terms of simple demographics, is the generational renewal, which has been a commission issue for a long time. Do you believe that if you look at the, the, the CEP proposal as it stands, or if there's ways outside it, where are we going to find this next generation of farmers? Well, to be honest, I I would dispute that. I would I, I'd contest that. Um, I don't think this generational issue is nearly as as as, as, as difficult as people say it is and, and what's more the measures that we're talking about giving a few shekels more to to young farmers uh, are not going to seriously change that uh, um now i think i think that there there's always more people who are inherently attracted by the genuine attraction of being a farmer of managing the natural environment and living in the natural environment it's it's got its massive difficulties but it's also got its fantastic rewards and pleasures and there's enough people in the population that that you do not see land reasonable farming land going unbid for when it's either up for sale or or up for tenancy or or some kind of farming arrangement uh, and that, that people will find uh, the, the thousand different ways of being on their farms and and in a sense earning their real living by doing something else professional in which they can uh, get together a reasonable family income uh, and then the farming is 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 not the the the, the single and sole and foremost uh, income strand in the in the household and and there's a thousand different ways of 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 doing that and so that's why i think the generational issue is not one that's going to stop you know is going to be the ultimate problem the, 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 the it's much more the technical issues of sufficient water sufficient biodiversity sufficient pollinators uh, sufficient fertility sufficient ways of dealing with with pests and disease uh, that, that that you can make a consistent supply of good quality food uh, and make some money out of it. Well, let's talk about what are those inputs then briefly. It's more in the farm to fork than it is in the CAP, but one of the big targets is a significant reduction in the use of synthetic pesticide products. Do you believe that this is a realistic goal, knowing that you've just completed a, a report on, on the state of crop protection in, in Europe and its future? Y- yes, but we've got to think of, lot of, of time. There's, there's several qualifications to this. I strongly believe in applying the best human knowledge we can to devote to the way we breed our crops and the way we then grow them and market them and consume them. Uh, and so, uh, the, 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 and, and I must say, I've spent most of my life in admiration to the the, the, the developments, the understanding of of, uh, of of crop scientists and chemists. Uh, uh, to to understand the metabolism of plants and and insects and uh, and fungi and bacteria and viruses that attack them. In the same, this is the same knowledge that 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 that, that we've expanded uh, in relation to our own health. Uh, and 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 I'm full of admiration for those who devote their their lives to the concept of plant health and farm animal health too. And so, but the question, but but that, that's the first point. The next point is that. Um, the the concept of killing the the vector, the, the disease vector, uh, in other words, reducing one element of biodiversity, is fundamentally going to run against the problem of uh, you're creating the ideal circumstances for resistance to this 
uh, the, the, this mode of action to sooner or later come about. And so every new mode of action and every new synthetic product uh, you develop sooner or later, uh, when you're going to apply it, when, the, when the, the, the disease or the animal or the virus or the bacteria is there, sooner or later, just as we're discovering with human vaccines in the pandemic, uh, uh, that, that a, a mutant uh, 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 resistant strain will emerge uh, and this product will become uh, uh, non-viable. And so it's a never-ending battle. Uh, and we've now gone through so many synthetic chemicals. It does seem to me that that it's not unreasonable to say that that process reaches a kind of apex and we've got to find some other approaches. And there are other approaches. There's biological control. And then there's ways of farming that are simply less intensive. Uh, and that instantly runs up against the very real objection. Uh, if, if you're going to move into less intensive farming systems, by design, less intensive means less inputs and less outputs, then unless you can control uh, our appetites for consumption, the story doesn't add up. You just draw in imports if you reduce your own output. And uh, but, but having said that, so what I'm saying is I think it's reasonable for the Green Deal to say, to give a, a hefty push that we're serious, that we've got to find other ways to control pests and disease. Over this last couple of podcasts, we've had several discussions about the issue of price and of market failure and as you point out uh, low returns on farm income let's put it that way is the current cap or the cp in general not essentially are we not just papering over a set of massive market failures that don't reward farmers don't reward the environment and simply are don't distribute the incomes of the food system very well yes it is it's a corrective for these it's a highly imperfect corrective for these failures i I absolutely agree and i I like that language there's there's a set of well identified market failures and market imperfections the failures are uh, the pollution uh, uh, the the destruction of biodiversity and so on you can put it in a more positive way that farmers can and do provide uh, 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 environmental services, but if they're not paid for them, of course, they'll underprovide them. Uh, so you can make a big case there and you can make a case for the, 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 the prices are wrong and correcting the prices is seriously difficult because co- by, you know, correcting the prices is a euphemism for food prices should be a lot higher to pay for uh, farming systems, which, which are less damaging to the environment. Uh, and that runs into a very obvious political problem that most people don't want their food prices to go up. Some countries in Europe, Switzerland, Norway, have found a way of dealing with that, uh, but the rest of us haven't and, and not likely to. We're not rich enough, uh, not as rich as those two countries. Uh, um, and and so if you can't do it through 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 prices, then it's not unreasonable to think, well, we'll have to tax ourselves and help farmers that way. In that case, Let's agree that's what we're doing and then make sure that the system of payments is paying for the appropriate methods of farming uh, and, and, and is identifying the true uh, areas of rural poverty and remedying them and not just splashing out the money per hectare uh, because that's the amount you used to get back in the 90s uh, when we changed to, uh, to, to, to direct payments. Um, so, so the cap could be doing this, but it requires a very different uh, mindset and approach on a different scale than we're currently doing. Because at the moment, all this stuff is just the uh, the also rans in pillar two uh, and the voluntary stuff. 
One of the issues that I'd like, still like to, to get to is in 2017, uh, the RISE Foundation put out a very good report called CEP Out of the Box. And in it, you and your co-authors place a great emphasis on improving risk management tools in any future CEP. Do you think the current proposal is addressing risk management at all or, or sufficiently when you laid next to the work you, you did a couple of years ago? You're right. We included risk management. To be honest, we did because if we didn't, we would have been uh, accused of overlooking something that the farmers always go on about. The, the honest truth is we didn't. We didn't come up with any brilliant new ideas as to how it could be better handled. Uh, um, I think it's a, it's a, a long running issue in, in agriculture. And in, in, and in fact, in, in some ways, Part of the solution, I don't want to, and I can't stress enough that, in my view, this is only part of the solution. To the extent that some farmers can be uh, persuaded, induced, encouraged to move down the agroecological route, where where farmers by by design are growing a broader range of crops, longer, wider rotations, that in itself is a risk management strategy. Uh, um, but I mean, the problem is getting the prices and costs to add up to to, to, to make sense. Uh, um, we didn't have any new tools for that. And I think that, that it's quite reasonable that we have and we maintain a floor intervention system and set of mechanisms that in dire emergency, we, we know how and where there's a willingness out there to not let farmers uh, go to the dog, so to speak, uh, when, when prices collapse for reasons that, that uh, are not their fault and couldn't have been anticipated. So, so I, I think the, the, and the, the other ingredient or element in all this is, is better relations in the food chain. Uh, and I think there's a big story there, but we don't have time to go into that perhaps. No, unfortunately we don't. I want to ask you one more question before we get to our, our wrap up which is about this idea of the new national strategic plans. There's been concerns in some quarters whether or not all the 27 now EU member state capitals are ready and whether or not the members, these individualized plans sort of will engender national competition again instead of a pan-European agricultural policy. What's your view on the sort of renationalization of the agri- of the common agricultural policy? I'm I'm content with it. I'm I don't see that. It's not a big issue in my mind because I think the logic that that to the extent that the cap is about uh, encouraging each member state to uh, find ways to, to identify the problems with their agricultural sector uh, and particularly their resource management problems and then tune their programs to that set of problems which are quite different in the Mediterranean compared to the Arctic Circle and and, and everything else in between the Atlantic to the to, to, to the Russian border and so on uh, um, that that uh, so, so when you've agreed that the policy is not fundamentally about commodity production and markets because the, 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 there's, a, there's an open uh, uh, level market supposedly across Europe on that in that regard, uh, when you've agreed that the prime purpose of the policy is to help farmers better steward their natural resources and the environment, then those problems and issues will be very different around the member states. So let them identify the key ones and how best to tackle them, given their farm structures. So that degree you know, is perfectly reasonable. And I, and I think it's reasonable also to say that, that this should be an EU-funded operation because biodiversity and climate are, in a sense, transnational issues. And, and having solidarity that will collectively fund this 
uh, but you each decide how to do it. So, so I, I, I've swallowed those arguments for saying that, that, that it's reasonable to devolve those responsibilities uh, in a policy that's more oriented in that direction. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show, and I want to ask you the final question, which is the one that we ask everybody who comes on, is if you could give one idea or one policy solution that would really make a change and create a more sustainable food system, what would it be? Well, the one I'd choose is the one that was in the, the report you kindly mentioned, uh, the, the uh, cap uh, uh, out of the box. Um, report we did uh, three or four years ago, um, which is, I think we have to change the decision process. That, that uh, to be honest, the, 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 the policy now is so dominated by farmer interests. DG Agri hates me saying this, uh, but the proposals come from the pen in that neck of the woods, even though they're adopted by the College of Commissioners. But the fact is, who wrote it and how much time did the rest of them have to input what was written? Uh, uh, and then they're negotiated by ministers of agriculture who see themselves as defending one interest rather than looking at the food, nutrition and environmental and climate needs of their societies. Uh, and by an agricultural committee in Parliament who are self-selected bunch of, uh, of people with a very specific interest and and until you widen that so i would widen all of those let's have the proposals from 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 two or three directorates together sit down and draft the proposals and then they're negotiated by by mixed committees not both committees mixed committees now th th that is such a reshuffling of the institutional arrangements it's probably not going to happen but uh, I, mean, I still think it'd be better if it did um, Alan Buckwell, Research Director of the RISE Foundation and Emeritus Professor, thank you so much for joining Food Systems Day and thank you for being on the FFA 2021 panel. I've enjoyed it, Robert. Thank you. And thanks to any listeners. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. In the aftermath of the FFA 2021 month of March, we will be going to a weekly release schedule to bring you follow-up interviews with some of our great speakers, to make sure you get all updates, please subscribe on your podcast app as well as on Twitter at Forum for Ag to get content on this podcast, news, as well as all other Month of March related content. Please check out our website www.forumforagriculture.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.